0: situation you know if we live in contentment we live in thanksgiving and I love that I love that we we could be thankful and grateful and generous and gracious with what the Lord has given us in this in this society in this country of Australia do you know we're the second richest nation in the world it's amazing isn't it So if we live in generosity, um, if we have a lot, then we're tempted to dishonor God by becoming so self-sufficient that we don't recognize that he is the one who provides for us. If we're poor, we're tempted to dishonor God by doing something dishonest. It's a wise man who wrote this prayer in Proverbs 30. He understood that chasing after wealth as our security is a dead end. In fact, it only tends to actually isolate us from God. I want to tell you a story about our Compassion International um, president, Wes Stafford. A few years ago, he was in Ethiopia. And I don't know if you know about the church in Ethiopia, but there's a lot of persecution that goes on there for the the Christians. And there was a, a gentleman who was a pastor, and he was preaching in his church in the dark, in a valley, in the deep of dead of night because he wasn't allowed to preach openly. But he got caught and he was taken into the main square of the town and he was electrocuted. He didn't die, he was just tortured with this electrocution. A day later, our international president at the time, Wes, met this man, De Missy, and he said, De missy I'm so... Horrified to hear what has been happening to you and what's happening to the church in, in Ethiopia. And Demissi said, oh, thank you, Wes. I appreciate that. And Wes said, I will pray for you when I go home. And Demissi said, and I will pray for you, Wes. And Wes went, oh, what will you pray when you pray for me? And he said, oh, that's easy. He said, I have God and nothing else. Is me, and he's God. Nothing between me and God because I have nothing. You have God and you have all this stuff between you and God. So I need to pray for you that you won't let that stuff get between you and your Heavenly Father and your relationship with Him. Where's was blown away. He was like, here's this man just being electrocuted for his faith, poor as anything, but he's so rich. He's so rich in relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's warning me, the rich Westerner, not to fall away because of that. I think that's an amazing story. And these are the type of people that Compassion International is working with all around the world. I'm going to give you a quick snapshot of compassion. I will. These things work when there's nobody in the room and then everyone comes and they stop working. Can I have the first slide, please? The, yeah. So we're releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. As I said, through the local church. We only work through the local church in the 26 different developing nations that we're in with the 1.6 million children that we are looking after right now next one thanks so what does the bible say it says to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves defend the rights Oh, sorry for the rights of all those who are destitute speak up and judge fairly defend the rights of the poor and the needy the, as i said before the bible is full of scriptures about looking after the poor next thanks so why do we need compassion in this world? Why do we need to look after the poor? Well, that's interesting. Almost half of the world, over 3 billion people, live on less than $2.50 a day. Half of the world's population. At least 80% of humanity live, live on less than $10 a day. What's that? One takeaway meal? Not even that. If you live in Australia, you're in the top 8% of the world's richest people. Did you actually know that? You are in the top 8% of the world's richest people. And you're rich because you know Jesus as well. Every single day, 18,000 children around the world under five die from preventable poverty-related causes. And that is not okay. Thank you. So Compassion started in 1952 in South Korea... This gentleman was our uh, founder, his name's Everett Swanson. He was walking along the road one day in South Korea and he saw in the distance what he thought were a pile of rags in a doorway. He's walking with his friend from South Korea and, and then a rubbish truck comes up beside these pile of rags and the truck driver gets out and goes over to the rags and he kicks them and picks them up and throws them into the truck. And Everett's wondering, wonder why he's kicking things before he throws them in. Oh, maybe there's rats there or something. But as he gets closer, he sees that there's actually arms and legs coming out of those rags and that they're little children, orphans, war orphans, huddled together after, um, to keep warm overnight. And Everett's friend says to him, Everett, now you've seen what's happening with our kids in South Korea, what are you going to do about it? And he said it's like God took those words and burnt them into his heart. He said, yeah, Everett, what are you going to do about that? He went home to America, he started telling the story and people started donating money for him to help the kids in South Korea and compassion was born all that time ago. Thank you. So this is where we work now. Um, If you see these green countries, the Green countries are the countries that the children come from, and the blue countries are the countries that the sponsors come from. And if you listen to what I just said a minute ago about South Korea being our first country that we worked in, it's now a blue country, which means that it's a sponsoring nation. We no longer sponsor children in South Korea. In fact, our President, Wes Stafford, was in South Korea a couple of years ago um, at a conference full of denomination leaders and uh, pastors, and he started telling them about compassion because that's what he was there for, and the guy put up his hand and said, excuse me, Dr Stafford, you don't need to tell us about compassion, we're your kids, and Wes is like, how many people here were compassion-sponsored children? 80% of the hands in the room went up. 80% of the people who are leading the church in South Korea then had been sponsored through Compassion. Compassion Child Sponsorship works. That is breaking the cycle of poverty. Now, South Korea is sponsoring over 100,000 children outside of their nation, and they no longer need us there to help look after them. Thank you. Next slide, thanks. So we are Christ-centred, child-focused and church-based. We do all that we do because we believe it is a mandate that God has given us. We do it with children because they are the hope and the future of their nation. And they are amazing evangelists right now in their countries as well. And we do it all through the local church. We only partner with the local church. Thank you. So we're working with some of the poorest countries in the world. Countries in the world, some of the poorest children. We only work with the poorest of the poor. So if you sponsor a child with Compassion, what does that mean? Thank you. Next slide, thanks. What does your child get? You you pay twelve dollars a week. Again, only about the price of a takeaway meal. And you, what does that child receive? Thank you. They have education. Education really helps to break the cycle of poverty in a child's life. Thank you, next one. Healthcare, we take care of all of their healthcare. We want every little baby to look gorgeous like this little guy, fast asleep, podgy tummy, healthy as anything. We want every child to be healthy and we take care of all of their health needs. Next, thanks. Nutritious meals, of course, if we don't feed the children, we send them to school, how are they going to learn? So many of our children come to us with malnutrition to start with, and we have to work to help them to recover before they can actually operate well. Thank you. And vocational training. We don't just feed a child and educate a child. Uh, We help them, we train them up with skills. And the most important thing is the next slide, which is Christian teaching. And next slide. Last year alone, 126,600 children became Christians through the work of compassion. How good is that? 126 over, actually, because many of our countries – I just got back from India. India is not allowed to report their salvation statistics because of – um, religious persecution there. So there's many more than 126,000. But if it was only 126,000, that would be one child every four seconds coming to the Lord. Four seconds or four minutes? Four seconds. <laughs> coming to the Lord. That is great news. All right. You've heard from me, but there's somebody here. Mark is going to come up and share his firsthand experience of being in Haiti and meeting his kids and seeing the work of compassion there.
1: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The uh, My family and I had the privilege of going to Haiti uh, at the end of last year, at the beginning of this year. Now, just to put it into perspective and just to set the scene, I was listening to a, watching a TV program recently about the September 11 attacks and about a guy who survived on the 83rd floor of the second building. He saw the plane coming straight at him and he saw the plane was about to collide basically with his head and he survived. And uh, anyway, he said, people ask me, why am I so happy? Why am I so content all the time? Why, when anything goes wrong at work, do I never, ever complain? He said, it's really simple. If a plane doesn't fly into your building today, it's a good day. (laughs) <laughs> and so I thought, yeah, that pretty much summarised it. Well, why am I talking about September 11? What's that got to do with compassion? Well, it's very simple. If you don't live in Haiti, every day is a good day. Haiti is one of the, well, it's the third lowest socioeconomic country in the world. And uh, to, to give you just a little bit of a background, we've heard of Haiti because it's been in the news. But in Haiti, in 2010, they had a massive earthquake, similar in size to the one that struck Christchurch but in Haiti itself there's no building codes and so you'll see in some of the buildings later on, some of the pictures later on, what the buildings look like and so all of these buildings collapsed in Haiti and in Port-au-Prince where the epicentre was just a few kilometres away from that, which is the capital of Haiti, the equivalent of Brisbane, there lives just over two million people in an area about the size of Greater Ipswich and uh, so they live on top of each other, buildings come down, people died. About 120,000 people died in, after the first earthquake, many of them up to a week later because there was no medical care, people couldn't get to them. And then there was disease came through and there was cholera. After the cholera epidemic had gone through, around about 320,000 people had died. Not many when you say it quickly, is it? All right. Well, you think about, well, there goes a quarter of Brisbane. And That's when it really started, you think, that wasn't bad enough. Then they got hit by four super, what we would call cyclones or typhoons, hurricanes, that came through that wiped out all of their crops. And so there was a period of time when, to survive, the mothers were going out into the jungle and looking for grass seed, because there was no coconuts or anything else that they could eat, everything was just smashed and wiped out. And they were picking up the seeds of weeds going out and getting some dirt out of the backyard and pounding up the seed, mixing it with the dirt, making biscuits and handing it to the children. That was what the children had to eat. And so the children would cry because they're hungry and then they'd cry after they were fed because of the pain of digestion of dirt. And so that puts it in perspective what true poverty really is. And as Lynette was saying, the lowest of the low in Australia has no idea about what poverty actually is. And so we're just going to have a look at a couple of pictures of uh, Port-au-Prince, which is uh, where we went in Haiti, a very, very congested city and uh, one in which uh, it's a great experience to drive around because there's no rules whatsoever. <laughs> the, uh, as we uh, travel around, what my family discovered is the true value of a dollar. We're looking at houses. This is not um, sort of dumps or anything like that. These are places where people live and we didn't get to go into the worst places. These are only taken as we're driving on the side of the road. We couldn't actually stop when we were there because when you're in places such as this, you're just a big walking white wallet. You're an opportunity for money. And so at one stage, I asked the taxi driver to stop there's no sanitation services in Haiti. And people started running from everywhere. And he said, We've got to get out of here. And there were people banging on the windows and trying to sell you things from anything from water to clothes to whatever. And the kids are there. Why, why are they chasing us? Don't they know they can get killed? Just stop there now, please. Chasing, the, uh, chasing this ambulance, or chasing this taxi rather. They'll end up in an ambulance. And I said to them, What you don't understand is if they don't sell you something, they don't eat. And uh, when we got to the airport, we were surrounded by 30 people when we got out of the barbed wire enclosure and everyone was reaching out just to touch our luggage because if they touched our luggage, they could say, I helped, please pay me. And I said to the guy who was there, who was the supervisor, um, what should I give them? And he said, if you give them 20 bucks, that'll feed everyone's family for a week. So there was 30 people there. 20 US dollars, fed 30 families for a week. And so what we don't understand is the exchange rate effect of Australian money and American money. In Haiti, the buying rate of one Australian dollar is about 40 times. And uh, so we can give a dollar and we don't think about it. We'll sometimes drop a dollar on the ground. Maybe I'm just overly wealthy, like Lynette was saying. And sometimes not even pick it up if it rolls somewhere too far away. right? But in Haiti... And even in the United States, we discovered a dollar is an incredibly significant thing. And so there's an exponential effect about what we give. What that is there, by the way, is the hotel that we stayed in. So when we went to Haiti, we opened the gates. There was a guy there with a shotgun who welcomed us into there. There's all electrified fences around the building. And uh, that was the hotel in which we stayed. And uh, so it was being repaired and extended as a result of the earthquake. And uh, when we were there, my family said to us, where do we get water? And we said, we don't know, because you can only drink bottled water. You can't even wash your hair in the water which is there, which comes out of the taps. And uh, where do we get food? Well, we don't know, but we'll survive. We're only going to be here for four days. Then we leave. The people in Haiti, they're there forever. Now, we're talking about compassion. And so the reason why we went there is to see... Um, some of our sponsored children. We actually got to see the four sponsored children that we have in Haiti. Three of them bust in to uh, Port-au-Prince where we were into the hotel that we stayed at and then later on, if we can move on from that one please. Just stop it there. Later on we went out and uh, we had the privilege of going to a Compassion project and a Compassion school out in the mountains of, uh, of Haiti. I just put that photo in just for people's interest, that last one, because all those chickens were live, by the way, as I was going along in the motorbike. It was about 30 chickens. The, uh, so they were all squawking and flocking and all that sort of stuff. And I just thought, yeah, what you see in the third world that you wouldn't see in Australia. So I don't think animal rights has quite made it to Haiti. The uh, we went to go to a school. Each one of these children here are compassion-sponsored children and each one of these children have had their lives changed. That little one there in white is Daphnika. She looks like an angel. And uh, so when she came, she just ran up, grabbed our hands, put our arms around us and connected, which doesn't always happen. We didn't expect it to, but the connection between her and her family and our family was instantaneous. The, uh, if we can move on, please. The, uh, that's a classroom. And remember, these children feel privileged to go to this classroom. Next time your kid whinges about going to school remember that classroom. No, no air conditioning, no carpets, no nothing, just simply a, uh, It is actually a mud floor, concrete walls, and have a look at the roof. Remember in Haiti, the average temperatures in 30 to 35 degrees. So imagine the temperature that's in there during a the day. And uh, so the children are privileged to go to school and they the privileged to go to learn, because they know that they're in the top percentages of Haiti. They know that very few children in Haiti actually get to go to school. This little man here is three years of age. One of the things that compassion can do is start children at an earlier age so that they can start to get an advantage and can come to their the level of potential with which they have. And what I want to say now, just one more thing before we move on. That was the lunch. Now move on to the next one there, That's cool. That was the lunch they had provided for us. One of the most humbling things that happened to us is when we went out to this school with these people that really have nothing, they prepared lunch for us. And before they did that, they explained how the lettuce had been washed in bottled water, they had a can of soft drink that they said that had been kept disinfected and they'd wiped the top of it with disinfectant so there was nothing on it, and that the bread, they'd used gloves and that sort of stuff on their hands. And they were at pain to say, we're looking after you. You look after us, we're looking after you. So that was a very humbling moment. Actually struggled to eat that meal. Continuing on. It's just Daphnika with Coralie, my wife and with Sam, one of my sons. And then we went out, and this is the house that Daphnika and her family live in. As you can see, it's pretty rough. It's only two rooms. And um, the, uh, if we just move on to the next slide, this is inside. There are two beds in the house there are five children and two parents five children sleep on the orange on the bed the orange bed that you'll see and the parents sleep on the other one but they're actually again wealthy cuz see all the utensils they have there on the side they are things that they have and they see themselves as quite well off compared to many people in in uh, Haiti because of the money that we give as far as our family gifts and that's what we got to see where does the money go the money goes to Pots and pans and bottles and waters and uh, all the different things they have there. We'll get to it in a moment. We'll see the chickens, if we can keep moving through. Uh, That's the construction. So you know why everything fell down. That was the children's bed, five children sleeping on that bed. And if we can pause there for a moment. In Australia, it's too easy sometimes for us to think about We're dealing with cardboard cutouts... We're not dealing with cardboard cutouts. We're dealing with real people, with real children. And if we can move on, please, to the next slide. That's the kitchen, that's the outdoor kitchen. And sometimes in your compassion descriptions, you see um, the father is a farmer of meager means who endeavors to gain uh, a living from his crops. That's his crops. See that little patch? That's his area. So that he tries to grow food from that space. And in that space there are chickens that they brought to us to show us up close. And rabies is a big deal in Haiti. And one thing you don't want to be near is chickens. Because chickens are a big carrier of rabies. And so they're coming up showing us, here's the chickens. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's fantastic. Put them down. We've seen them take them away. And so the, uh, when you see meagre means, we're talking meagre means. All right? So what he grows there, he tries to sell And uh, as I said, own a little bit of money for his family. Moving on, and let's just pause here for a moment. That's inside looking out. Who chose where you were born? You didn't. They didn't choose where they're born. We sit here in a life of privilege, they sit there in a life of poverty you didn't choose it. It's so easy in Australia to feel that we're better, to feel that we're smarter, to feel that we're um, more industrious. But honestly, we're here because we were lucky where we were born. And that's the truth of it. If you are there, what do you want? You want someone to go through that door and to help you out of that darkness. And that's a lasting image that will stay with me forever. Next slide. That's the road. Looks like something the, the men would like to go on in their four-wheel drive trips. It uh, isn't a very good road. It's not looked after, it's a rough road. And that's what your walk with compassion is going to be like. It's not going to be a smooth road. When you sponsor children, not every child is going to get to the end and become the president of Haiti. Some children are going to fall away. Some families are going to be destroyed. Some children are going to die. It's a rough road, but it's a road that is worth travelling because at the end of it, moving on to the next slide, this is the rewards. Real children, real people saying... I want to fulfil my potential. Can you please help me? We have a privilege of having someone here today, and that is Evelyn. And Evelyn is going to come up and tell you something. Evelyn, can you come up, please? What we're trying to do is break the cycle of poverty.
2: Hello, good morning, everyone. My name is uh, Evelyn Leong. I am a member here. I was uh, the 23rd compassion child in the Philippines. We were the first batch sponsored. I was sponsored uh, when I was nine years old. That was, I was in year, year three up to university. My um, sponsor's name is um, Mr. and Mrs. Dick Hutton. They were from USA. Because of compassion, I was was able to finish my education from primary up to university. I finished my degree and became a teacher. I taught in the Philippines before I came to Australia. Because of compassion, in Jesus' name, the poverty cycles has been broken from me and my family. So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to consider sponsoring a compassion child and help and be a blessing. And make a difference to the child's lives and to the whole family.
1: Let's have a big hand for Evelyn. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Thank you, Mark, and thank you so much, Evelyn. How good to see the result of sponsorship and how challenging to see what Mark and his family saw. We have one more thing this morning. I'm going to introduce you to another previously sponsored child. Her name is Jennifer, and we're going to see her story now.
3: Jennifer Gitiri, and I'm from Kenya. Growing up with a single parent in the slum was very, very difficult for me. Really living hand to mouth because if my mom went to look for employment or even wash other people's clothes, if she came in the evening with a dollar, that's what we would use to buy a meal and eat at that particular time. If we wake up tomorrow, there's nothing to eat, then we'd take a glass of water and run to school. But compassion, I opened a project at a church near our home, and for the first time as a young girl, I saw hope. Compassion provided for everything. They gave me books. When I was sick, Compassion would pay for my medical care. And I'm also thankful to my sponsor, who was very, very encouraging. You know, just writing letters of encouragement, telling me that you can make it, you can do it. Your past should not determine your future. I believe my sponsors were God-sent. When we wrote to Jennifer, it was important to let her know that we really cared about her. I just said what a mother would say, you know, we're so proud of you. We're so proud that your grade card is good and that you've done such a good job. I remember vividly our neighbor's child was raped. The child was 10 years. And these were the kind of things that I saw growing up that really made me decide to be a lawyer, someone who could speak for the rights of those who cannot speak for themselves. The beginning of this year, I joined the Kenya School of Law so that now I can be admitted into the bar and become an advocate in the High Court of Kenya. This summer, I went to the United States of America to to be an advocate. I shared passionately about my story and how my sponsors had made a difference in my life and they were brought on stage.
1: Here they are!
3: It was life-changing just to, to see those two people who'd sacrificed their resources, who used to pray for me, who used to encourage me. So for, for me to see these two people was, was just amazing compassion gave us the opportunity to reach halfway around the world to rescue one little girl from whatever the future might have had in store for her. It makes me cry all the time when I think of how far God has brought me, you know, from the ditches of poverty to this. Today, I am here as proof. That indeed compassion releases children from poverty in Jesus' name. My children will never live in poverty. My children will know the word of God. And when I look at the packets at the compassion booth, my heart is broken because 17 years ago, my face was in that packet.
0: Jennifer says some amazing things there. She says, her children will never know poverty. Her children will know the word of God. The cycle of poverty has been broken in Jennifer's life. And she also says that her heart breaks because she thinks about her face and the the packet, which is what I've got, photos of children waiting for sponsorship. 17 years ago, that was her. I can't promise you that if you sponsor a child today, they will grow up and be a human rights lawyer, like Jennifer. But I can promise you that you will have a wonderful journey. You will impact that child's life, and if you allow them to, they will impact yours. And we'll see many more children coming to know Jesus, and many more Evelyns and Jennifers being mighty women of God as adults. So thank you so much for the opportunity to come today. And if I could just pray, let's finish up. Father God, I thank you so much for this church, I thank you for their hearts. I thank you that, Lord, there are so many people here who already sponsor children and give to great charities. And I just pray that you would help us all to know what you want us to do. Lord, we pray for the children of the world living in desperate poverty. We pray for Haiti. We pray for a change of government in Haiti to allow uh, the, the changes to come. The Corruption would be gone, Christian president would be put in and Haiti would be turned around, Lord. We pray for all of the countries around the world that are struggling and all of those who are poor financially. And we pray for us, Lord, as some of us can be rich, but we can be poor spiritually. Lord, help us to be generous givers. Help us to know your will for our lives. And Lord, I pray your blessing on this church and all they do, and I thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen.